Hi, and welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. I am Eva, a civil engineering professor and blogger on the side. And I'm Rico, a PhD student in civil engineering. Join us on this podcast in which we discuss all topics related to PhD life, research mechanics, and lived experiences. There will be interviews and discussions with guest researchers and PhD students. We hope you stick around with us on the PhD Talk podcast. Hello and welcome to the PhD Talk podcast. This is episode 24 in which we will talk about online teaching. Um, without much further introduction, uh, let's have a look at the courses that we are teaching online and uh, what, what we can share about what we've learned about online teaching from the past pandemic years. So, uh, Rico, which courses are you teaching and are you teaching online? Yeah, so I'm not, um, sometimes PhD students get to lecture courses, of course. Uh, so far, I haven't had that opportunity. So I've been uh, TA for a number of courses, but I haven't had a chance to be a course lecturer yet. In terms of the courses, it's been uh, design of reinforced concrete, solid mechanics, and structural engineering one are the main courses where I have a bit of uh, a bit more involvement. I also um, help with some graduate level courses, but it's mostly uh, answering student questions and a bit of grading there. So not as important. And uh, how about yourself, Ava? What courses have you been teaching? Sure. So over the last, uh, what is it, four semesters now of teaching online, I've been yeah. only teaching Reinforced Concrete 2. And that is really the main course that I teach at this university as well. Is that normal to your teaching load or was that adjusted because of COVID or anything related to that? Um, I usually teach a course in the spring and a course in the fall semester. And what was added to that is that I also taught it over the summer. And okay. I forgot to mention that I did teach uh, a graduate level course, which is um, structural reliability and structural safety uh, mm -hmm. that I was teaching during the last fall, and that was online as well. I pretty much almost already forgot about that. Yeah, oh, I had to look back on my on my uh, my Google Drive, my files, and say, mm -hmm. wait a second, a year ago, what was uh, what courses were on my agenda? Mm -hmm. And uh, so those are the courses, uh, just to give some context for our, our following discussion. But what has been your experience? I know that it's changed a lot over the course of the pandemic, but you know, starting from let's say spring twenty twenty. Uh, how has your experience varied and what, what has your experience been? Yeah, so I can compare um, this, the Reinforced Concrete 2 course, because that's the one that mm. I've been teaching through all these semesters of online teaching. And in spring 2020, I, I remember very well, we just started the semester, pretty <laughs> much clueless of what was going to, to come to us. And I do remember that at some point when uh, the United States started to have stay-at-home orders, or I think it was the, the president of university who said, you know what, we are going to do a simulation. And next mm. Monday, we will do this uh, university-wide simulation in which you will, be, you will be working from your office. Nothing is, is happening here. We are fine. We don't have uh, COVID in the country. Nothing is going on. But we'll just simulate what it would be like to teach online and if, if we have everything in place in terms of IT to support this. Now, okay. that Monday, I don't exactly remember the date that it was, but the Thursday before that Monday is when the mayor of the city decided to, to close the schools, 
the okay. our university still said, well, we will close campus for students, but you will need to come to the office and work from the office. And mm. then by the time Sunday came around, they said, no, the situation is too critical. We are closing campus. And I haven't been back in my office since that Sunday when that email came. I, I live pretty much around the block from campus. And I said, well, if that's the case, I better go get my notes so that I can teach. Yeah. So I just, of I, I saw the email. I took my backpack. I ran out, uh, went in and got my things. And, and <laughs> luckily I got my things. And yeah. <laughs> that, that's how, Thankfully. yeah. And, and by the time we were supposed to do the simulation, it was already in terms of uh, online teaching. And we yeah. have been online <laughs> since then. Yeah, I have a similar story if I could just share about yeah, like sure. the, the, the critical time there. It's not related to teaching, but mm -hmm. your story just reminded me of it. And we were in the lab. We had one final test to, to run. And so th this test was like, you know, we were setting it up basically. And uh, we were planning to test like the following week. And I remember I was a bit stressed because we were planning to test early in the week. And oh, was I going to have enough time? We're not allowed being in the lab over the weekend because of uh, safety concerns, right? Mm-hmm. And it was Friday, March 13th, and that's when the restrictions were coming into play. And I remember catching another professor that I have a, like a close relationship with. And uh, I was saying, oh, my God, you know, what's up with these restrictions? I said, are you going to be in the lab? And he said, yeah, yeah, it's no problem. Don't worry. Come in on Monday. And then <laughs> over the weekend, things changed. And then I haven't seen this professor since I have, you know. Uh, so it was really like, it happened so quickly. Like we were planning, okay, yeah, well, pandemic cares. We're going to be in on Monday. And, uh, here we are more than a year later, still, mm -hmm. <laughs> still making do. Uh, so, uh, I'm sure everybody on the planet has similar stories to that, but it's just, when you sit down and think about it, it's so shocking. It all happened so quickly. Yeah. Okay. So you were able to get your notes then that's the, at least you were yes. able to continue teaching. Yeah. And then I guess, uh, was it a struggle to get everything set up at home or were yes. you, were you pretty, okay. So my, my way of teaching was whiteboard and marker. So I, mm. um, I, I perhaps had some slides just if I have like a complex figure then, uh, since I'm not very good with figures and, and drawing <laughs> on the whiteboard is, I'm not good at that. So then I prefer to project the figure. But other than that, I had no material for teaching online, not a tablet, just uh, the laptop that I have from Delft University because they do have my setup for remote working. Um, we have internet at home, luckily. Um, but other than that, I, I didn't have anything ready to really teach online. So that first semester, I also because everything was closed and uh, I we, I was without childcare and mm, I just didn't have course. the headspace to really revamp my course. So I just tried to survive and I did as as much as I could with what was possible. Yeah. Then when the summer semester came, they gave us a little bit of extra time. So they postponed the summer semester and we had a bit more time between the two semesters. And that really helped me in getting my material prepared. And our uh, university then also, they gave us a course on blended flexible education. So I took the course and I got ideas on how to offer my course in a blended way. And mm -hmm. with the extra time, I could take the course, prepare my material, and I had everything in the online environment that our university uses, which is a D2L, a Brightspace product. And at that time, the summer is, of course, an intensive semester. So it was double the intensity. 
And I was very inspired by what I had learned on all the tech tools. So I was using all the possible bells and whistles and all the tools out yeah. there. And I had a lot of fun with it, but uh, it was a little bit too much. <laughs> then for the fall semester, I revamped my course again and I centered it around design projects. No, okay. what I learned from that is that my students, when you give them a design project, of course, I have to do the structural analysis part and as well as the design, and it becomes very large. And I noticed that they often got stuck already at the beginning mm -hmm. and that, it, that if I grade a design project that includes a structural analysis and modeling the structure in a modeling the building that they were analyzing in finite element package or in a frame analysis package, I should say, then I'm yeah. evaluating things that are actually not part of my learning objectives of the class. So I archived that ID, uh, mm -hmm. even though I think it's useful for somewhere in an engineering education to have those projects when my class is not the right place for it. I see. And then... I did get the feedback from the students that it was a lot of small things and a lot of switching between exercises and theories. So I, okay. before the start of this semester, the spring 2021, I separated theory from exercise sessions and I have dedicated theory sessions and dedicated exercise sessions. And in the exercise mm. session, I repeat the theory. And what I also changed is that I did make I don't really like PowerPoint that much. Mm -hmm. uh, so I have been avoiding it for as long as I could. But now I, I kind of yield it and put everything into PowerPoints with, you know, an overview of this is what we'll cover today. This is the learning objective mm -hmm. of today's class and really subdividing the material and having the screenshots mm -hmm. of the code in there so they can see, okay, this yeah. is article 8.3.4.2. something of the code with the mm -hmm. formula. This is how everything sits together. And well, I haven't seen my course evaluations yet, but <laughs> I hope that that lands better. So you've really had a progression in terms of how you've approached teaching these courses. Yes, yes. How about you? My situation, because I'm, I'm a teaching assistant, obviously I'm, I'm less involved with the design of the course. Mm -hmm. I've had really good interactions with the, the professors that I've worked with and that they're very receptive to, um, uh, you know, new ideas. And they talk to the TAs in one class were, I think, five TAs. So um, that professor uh, came up to us and like we had a meeting and she asked us, you know, what do you think about this? I'm thinking about doing this. Do you have any suggestions? And that was, you know, I think that was uh, a good thing that she did to to ask for opinions because it's such a new scenario. And I think us being TAs, we're a bit closer to the students in terms of, uh, you know, having taken courses recently. So in terms of how it went for me, so spring and our semester start in January and then uh, in April, mm -hmm. uh, we call that, actually, we don't call that the spring, we call that the winter semester. But in any case, Mm -hmm. uh, it was uh, the end of the semester was really when things were affected. And so I had done my uh, I had given my tutorials, which are presented in sort of a lecture format uh, with time to uh, answer questions and that sort of thing. And so I was reaching the end of that. And so the last couple of uh, classes that I had, I just posted those online, basically mm -hmm. the, the problems and the solutions. And I made myself available to students by email. And it was just like, as you said, just survival, get through the end of the semester. Mm -hmm. um, and then summer, there's no courses uh, or not many offered. And so I wasn't teaching or doing anything like that in the summer. And then coming into fall, it was a new course that I hadn't been a teaching assistant for. 
And the topic is, it's called Structural Engineering 1. And the second half of that course is dealing with sort of classical analysis methods, so virtual work, influence lines, which mean nothing to the majority of our listeners. But those of us familiar with structural engineering are saying, oh, man, I haven't, <laughs> I haven't done that in a long time. And that was my scenario. So I basically had to relearn this material. Uh, it's sort of how analysis was done before computers, essentially. Mm-hmm. As a, if I can make one side remark there, I, I thought uh, structural analysis won one semester when uh, we were just in change of staff. And that is a course that took me the most time to prepare because it has so yeah. many exercises, so many problems. So I yeah. do understand that it's uh, doing things by hand when you haven't done it for a while. It takes a lot of time to prepare that class. Yeah, yeah. Because these are analysis methods that we don't really, mm-hmm. we don't use anymore. They're not efficient, you know, in a design office. You don't have time to do things as if it's the 1930s mm-hmm. or the 1830s for that matter. Yeah. So, so um, anyway, so we had to, I had to kind of refresh my memory on those and then try and formulate some slides. I really tried to, because it's a difficult course and I remember it being difficult and also to practice my teaching and my preparation, you know, for one day, hopefully I get to teach a course. And so I really tried to complement the the lectures from the professor with sort of my own slides. So I tried to give more examples. I re-explained the material maybe in a different way, tried to take a different viewpoint from things. So that was a good experience, but, you know, a a new and novel, difficult experience. So that was on on one side. And then the other side related to COVID and the pandemic was, you know, getting used to Zoom, speaking on Zoom. And uh, luckily that class, a lot of students were showing up and they had their cameras on. And so I don't think we were as jaded at that time. So it was a good experience. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then and then now this is the winter semester, we call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, now I'm back to, to being the TA for a course that I had already um, been a TA for, so I'm reusing a lot of the slides. And the difference now is just I'm doing it on Zoom. And luckily, with presenting these problems, the way they would normally be done in a classroom setting is we would have uh, we have like a document camera. So we'll, we'll present the problem maybe on a slide or what have you, and then we'll print out the sheets, place them on this document camera, and it projects it automatically onto the screen. And so we'll be solving the problem by hand with the students in the lecture hall being able to see the solutions. And uh, so Zoom is very, very, very similar to that. So I haven't noticed much of a difference, except that, of course, everything's virtual. And so, you know, there's less engagement and the students are are not uh, present in class as much, or you know, because they can watch things asynchronously. Mm-hmm. All these videos are recorded. Oh, and the other big thing that we did, because there's laboratory experiments as part of this course, we went in in the summer and we had to record these videos. So that was a, a an interesting thing to do is to go in there and record these laboratory videos and collect all the data so that the students can write the lab reports without actually having done the experiment. And so uh, that was that was interesting and sort of a, an adaptation that we have to make just because of the online teaching thing. So that's the rundown. It's been a real it's been a real journey, but uh, luckily my university is is looking to get back to in person teaching. So that's going to be, uh, after all this learning that we've done, it basically gets thrown out the window. <laughs> well, I think some elements will be here to stay, right? Some some of the tools and, and some of the learning that we've done about learning and how mm. students learn, I, I don't think it's it's really lost. No, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. There's a, And the focus, there's been more focus than normal or than usual on teaching as, as a science, right? And mm-hmm. the science of teaching. So I think that's very good overall. And uh, hopefully it carries through uh, to the real in-person environment. So those have been sort of our experiences and how, uh, how things have changed over the course of this pandemic. Uh, if we move now into a little bit of 
tips for online teaching? What uh, what sort of tips would you have for for you know PhD students or or anybody else teaching a course? Yeah, my main insight from the steps that I've gone through, as I described earlier, is that for me, less is more. And that is in terms of the tech tools. I, you know, I, I like trying out new shiny things and, and new websites <laughs> and new uh, quizzes and, and uh, ad puzzles and all, everything and Mentimeters and all of those things. Um, but what I've learned and what hopefully is better for my students is that I, I now have selected a handful of tools and I explain them in the very first class. I'm saying, okay, these are the tools that we're going to use this semester. So for example, when it's a Mentimeter, they will be able to link to it from the D2L environment that we use. And when it's uh, an add puzzle, then they have to kind of register in the class and they see you will have seven of these puzzles this semester. So I, I've tried to limit the tools that I'm using. So not every time they see something new and they have to figure it out again, like, okay, where do I put my name? How do I start this? Mm. So that it's a little bit more limited in terms of the, the technological tools. And then the other part of less is more that I've learned is that for me, the focus on my learning objectives has become much clearer over the over this pandemic. I have mm. removed topics. There's topics that I'm not teaching anymore. Um, and I've also removed elements that are not directly in line with my objectives. So from that perspective, I've uh, looked at less, but trying to do it with more attention and more focus. How about you? What's your main insight? If I could comment on just on your insight there, less is more. And on my end, obviously, as a teaching assistant, we don't have much control over the, the content of the course. Mm -hmm. And what I've noticed is that because the professors that I've worked with teach off of slides mostly, their content hasn't changed so much. But what I've tried to do is sort of incorporate the alternative explanation, you know, alternative teaching methods, I should say. So I'm, I'm trying to do more of, uh, you know, real world examples, trying to show more videos, um, you know, pointing out you know, because we're dealing with structures, I'll, I'll, I'll often use examples from the city that we're in or, you know, and a lot of these students are like are here for the first time if they're here at all or whenever they come, they can go and see these real structures uh, themselves. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've been trying to do. I guess another part of that, uh, as you said, reducing content and what we've been hearing across the board is that we have to uh, not not lenient, but be kind to the students and be aware that they're facing things and, and they're in a scenario that is unprecedented. Students have been going, to a, uh, going through a tough time. You know, they're not able to see their friends. They're not able to get that university experience. And so being compassionate and being empathetic towards them has been a big, a big thing in the, in the past year. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the way I've tried to do that is, um, for, first of all, just being more lenient with, with deadlines and with evaluating because often I'm, I'm correcting assignments and that sort of thing. So I try and be as lenient as possible while still meeting the learning objectives. And uh, other than that, my availabilities, I, I've um, made myself more available as a teaching assistant. Oftentimes, we're more approachable than the professors, you know, depending on the student. Mm -hmm. And so I've tried to make myself available and say, you know, if, I, if you, you want to email me and, you know, you want me to answer questions that way, I'm happy to do that. Otherwise, you know, my, my office hours are flexible. Let me know and we'll set up a Zoom meeting uh, and really trying to like up the up the compassionate levels this year. <laughs> that's been the goal. Yeah, that, that's something that I recognize as well. They, they've been going through so many difficult situations uh, in terms of 
care responsibilities for elderly relatives, uh, sickness, mm. death in their families, them students themselves that have been struggling with their health, some of them having yeah. very long-term effects of having COVID. So it's now not the time to say, and the deadline is Friday and you shall submit on Friday. I've, I've been, I check whenever they are supposed to submit a homework, I check if they've done it or not. Um, and that's also when I give, for example, feedback on, on the ad puzzles that I use. Mm -hmm. But I've, I've told them, well, at the end of the semester, if, if I'll check again to see if it's submitted and then uh, we take it from there. Yeah. Yeah. Trying to be flexible and like, you know, uh, flexible with deadlines and also with grading and that sort of thing. And then you've spoken already about limiting the number of tech tools. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. And the only thing I'll add there for myself and that, and I'm sure everybody feels this way, but grading online or grading things that are submitted online is like not so much, not so fun. <laughs> already grading is, you know, I don't I don't know anybody who likes grading and my, that's myself included there, but already it's a, a bit of a pain. And then now having PDF versions of all this, it's, it's been really interesting. Mm -hmm. So as a, as a side question there, what do you use for the exams? Do they like type out the answers in the online environment or do they get an exam and then kind of solve it by hand and scan it? What do you use? Yeah, the, the, the consensus has been to do things by hand and then scan it. And most students now, you know, have, have cell phones. And so there's a lot of scanning apps available. Everybody's decided that that's the way to go. And that includes the assignments that we, that are during the semester, as well as any class tests or exams. And then speaking about that, um, and I'd like to know your opinion on this as well. What my, what one of the professors I've been working with has done to sort of adjust the evaluation and the grading is, rather than have assignments um, throughout the semester, because what a lot of professors and, and lecturers have noticed is that there's a lot more um, cheating and sharing of answers going on. But what we've done is have l smaller class tests, time limited, so 20 minutes. And so the focus there, the idea there is that there's less chance for cheating because it's, it's so quick. Mm -hmm. And I've, I've heard sort of a mixed response from students. Some of them are saying, Oh, this is good because we we get to we're tested on the material like immediately after that module, and then other students are saying, "Well, oh my God, this is so stressful. Um, you know, the, the time is too short. I'm not able to get it, things in on time." And I, I'm just curious if if you have an opinion there, or if you, what do you think of that? I haven't tried it out yet, um, mm -hmm. especially because the type of questions that I ask, if it's a design or a, a calculation question then in 20 minutes it would have to be something very punctual so i'm sure. i'm trying to wrap my head around it um i think if it, it if it takes the students by surprise and if they don't know which day they will get one of these tests it may be stressful for them um because you're like you're always on the like, on the edge yeah no no I, I maybe i didn't explain it properly they're they're scheduled so the okay. students know exactly when it is yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. so the rule at at uh, universidad san francisco de quito is that any part that isn't an element of the final grade can be maximum 25 percent of the total grade so okay. for example if you take like me exams you have to have uh, for example two midterms and a final exam and a project so you already yeah. split up the material in, in more parts. And I do think then that helps the students with chopping it up into smaller pieces, not having such a big amount of material to go through. But I do give them the, the full one and a half hours of the lecture to work on it. So 
for yeah. my specific case, I'm not sure what I could do with 20 minutes of, of testing them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, with the, with this course, it's been more like the modules are smaller, right? So we're able to do mm -hmm. that. Uh, I've been really hearing really mixed reviews from the students, but yeah. So D2L is your system that is the online... Uh, Yes, so it's uh, what we use for our online environment is D2L, Desire to Learn, and mm -hmm. in the that's like the Spanish version of it and the or Spanish language version of it. And in Delft, we actually use the same product called Brightspace, which is essentially the same, but it's just the English language version of it. So um, it's one of the big players that are out there. Um, which platform do do you use? It's called My Courses, and I think it's a proprietary thing through McGill. I don't know if that's true, but I, mm -hmm. it doesn't have any uh, clear labeling, like if it's from some company. But we've always used that, and so we've just been the McGill IT has has been able to integrate Zoom with that to get the Zoom recordings and and all that uh, sorted out. Mm -hmm. Are you using Zoom as well, or is it yes. is it? Um... So at at I should say, USFQ uh, uses Zoom. Um, but mm. because of the GDPR regulations in Europe, uh, TU Delft is using Bluebird, Jaybird, some, something with a bird that I don't okay. exactly remember what it is, but very similar. Okay. Yeah, I think they're all pretty much the same. As long as you're able to show your face and, and share the screen, it's, it's all pretty mm -hmm. much the same. Yes. Yeah. And that's it. So we've, we've always tried to be pretty organized with, with those, um, with those content management systems, those educational systems, you know, making sure that the students know where to find something. And uh, especially mm -hmm. now with all the new modules and stuff, it's very easy to get lost. Where do, where do I submit my assignment? How do I find the assignment, et cetera? So we've been really strict with organization for that. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, was, I was much more paper-based before um, the pandemic. So okay. I, uh, I just, on the online platform, all I had was my syllabus and my scanned notes and exams from the past years. Um, sure. But anything that was assignments, I would just go with the, the, the paper copy and hand it out. So for me, one of the, the learning steps here was to make sure that I'm consistent in the way that I compile everything and in the way that I communicate everything to the students. Because in the beginning, I was either putting things on the system or sending them emails. And yeah, it was just information was coming from a number of sources. By now, sure. I have everything on the system and it's in modules. And then one like folder per lecture where they have the information of the lecture and uh, what they have to prepare and what they have to do afterwards. So they can really go through it folder by folder and it's all consistent and it's not that i say oh you have to fill out the mentimeter or you have to go do that it's all integrated in there and, and that's really the and if i have to communicate something with them i will use the announcements in there instead of sending an email yeah he's trying to keep everything uh, in one place i think that's the best mm -hmm. thing to do and in addition to that i think being thorough in communicating expectations and really taking time to go over the syllabus I mean, the syllabus has always been important. And I think it was yesterday that I saw somebody who has a T-shirt that said uh, it's, it's in, in the, the syllabus. syllabus. <laughs> and um, it, I mean, it's it's just so important. And now then that I can see the students in person, I at the beginning of the course, I go over it. And every now and then during the semester, I'll, I'll bring it up and share my screen again to tell them, well, here's where we are. This is what we're going to do. This is how, how the grading goes so that they really know the expectations. And that also ties in very well with what I said earlier with regard to the learning objectives. I really try mm -hmm. to take time in the beginning of the semester to tell them these are the four things that we want to focus on this semester. 
And I've mm -hmm. taken that to the point as well, as I said, the PowerPoints that I have now, they always have the learning objective for the lecture in there. So try to really focus much more on the objective in such a way that it's really clearly formulated. And uh, uh, I've, that's one of the things that I've learned from my teaching qualification. TU Delft uses um, Bloom's taxonomy of, um, of levels of learning or levels of understanding. So I've used really that uh, taxonomy system to phrase my learning objectives and then make sure that my teaching and learning activities, as well as the assessment is all in line with those objectives. I've noticed something just listening to you, um, to you speak about your teaching method uh, and, you know, how you approach things and the courses you've taken, the information you have on it. But it seems like you're very well informed on the topic and you have clear guidelines that you follow and you're you're up to up to date on the effective teaching methods where i feel like not not to criticize that my the professors that i've worked with uh, as a teaching assistant because i think they're they're excellent lecturers and they're excellent teachers i just feel like they don't follow this like as you're saying bloom's taxonomy like i i don't know what that is and i feel like uh for any phd students myself included this is sort of a good wake up call to say, like, if you ever plan on teaching courses or being a lecturer, you know, this might be some learning that you have to do on your own. And so that's sort of what I'm thinking of. And, and something that I'm going to address in the future is maybe more educated on the topic. Mm -hmm. I must say that a lot of what I learned comes from the courses that both the universities that I work for have been providing, because yeah. something that they both have in common is that they put a lot of focus on developing the teaching skills of their staff. Mm -hmm. So I, I've been able to, especially now with the pandemic, that they're offering more content in a virtual <laughs> format and online, I've been able to do more learning in, in that regard. If I can add to that, another way of learning how people learn has actually been for me to see how my daughter learns, how she mm -hmm. explores the world. Uh, over the summer, I, I I also kind of went down a rabbit hole on really trying to, because she she's doing virtual school and I wanted to complement that a little bit with activities for her. So I went to, down the rabbit hole learning how little kids learn. And then I said, little kids, big, big kids. Are yeah, students. big kids. Yeah, big kids for sure. <laughs> learners are learners, even the way I learned. So that that also helped me or that, that made me think on, yeah, what's learning? How do we learn? And uh, gone on down too many rabbit holes about learning there as well. One other thing when it comes to being kind to the students is really thinking of the limitations that they may be having. In my case, I had my work from home or work remotely set up because I work remotely for, for TU Delft. Uh, but many students, either they have poor bandwidth at home, they are in, especially here in Ecuador, they may not be in the city anymore. They may be in one of the provinces with limitations, uh, power cuts, um, they they may be not having access to a, a laptop anymore. So they may be watching lectures from their smartphone. So that's some of the limitations that Absolutely. I've heard that my students are facing. What are some of the limitations that, that you've been seeing? Yeah, I've been seeing sort of the, the same thing. Um, you know, we, we have students uh, internationally as well as, as local to or in, in, in country in Canada and uh, yeah, there's always been issues with uh, bandwidth and, uh, you know, trying to, to look through your phone. And that's it's, it's been suboptimal across the board for that reason and others, you know, trying to have uh, asynchronous as well as synchronous options. So, you know, mm 
Mm-hmm. You could always watch the videos after the fact at your own pace. But even in those scenarios, it's it's not easy for students and it goes into, as you said, being compassionate towards them. Going into what we were saying a little bit earlier about learning how to teach and learning effective teaching methods. Eva, are you able to go into um, or explain to me and to our listeners a little bit about how you approach constructing a course and your learning objectives and how you structure it? Could you give us a little short mini lecture on your technique? Yeah. So um, one thing that I alluded at earlier is having that alignment between the objectives themselves, the learning and teaching activities and the assessment. And that triangle, as as it's uh, usually presented, is uh, called constructive alignment. And that's uh, the philosophy or approach that um, that TU Delft uses and that um, that I've been practicing while taking mm-hmm. my teaching qualification courses. And the nice thing there is, for example, you see sometimes that something that is asked on the exam is not directly related to the way it was presented in class. And looking really at what's the objective, how do I present it in class and what do I want to have as my teaching activity and what is going to be the learning activity of the students and then tie that in to the way it would be assessed at the end, that really helps bring everything together. And that's where the the cognitive levels of of the Bloom taxonomy come in, because these levels go from sort of lower level to more abstract level, which you would find more in graduate courses. So the lower level... um, I don't know it all exactly out of my head, um, but the lower level really goes towards, for example, for what we do, it would be able to repeat theory mm-hmm. or give a, a basic understanding of theory or, for example, apply the code provisions to uh, to the design of a, a structural concrete element. Whereas okay. when it comes to the higher levels of ab- abstraction, that goes all the way up to being able to think of an experiment that tests a hypothesis, for example. And, and understanding those different levels helps teachers to align their learning objective, really thinking, okay, what's the cognitive level that I want them to achieve? Mm. There are these worksheets of, of verbs, of action verbs that are related to your, that you can use for your learning objectives that are related to these cognitive levels. And um, you see, for example, that say your, your teaching in class may be really focused on explaining the theory. That's really at the lower levels. But then if at the exam you expect them to do something very creative with that, there is an imbalance Mm. there because they haven't had the chance to practice that. Um, So understanding the relation between these three elements in what they call constructive alignment and the different cognitive levels, the different Bloom's levels that we've been looking at has helped me to say, okay, in my undergraduate concrete class, what I want them to be able to do is to design structural concrete elements based on the ACI 318.19 code. So how are you going to do that? Well, explain the code, apply the code, practice with the code, and then be able to apply that during the exam as well and not go really beyond it. Sometimes I may have a nice extra anecdote on the history of, of something, but it's really not the main core of what I want them to learn. This is interesting because I've or something that we've that has come up a lot in these courses is always like 
we explain things in a simple terms and we we'll explain things. And then the examples that are shown in class are sort of simple examples. And then something on an exam will test the students beyond that. And so that's always been my experience with a lot of these courses. And so, you know, trying to mesh that together with what you're saying, that's sort of like expecting students to perform at a higher cognitive level than what you've been teaching them. And so what you're saying is that's, might, that's not an effective way to, to teach potentially. It depends. Like if your example is just like a more complex beam uh, or a sure. more complex element, but the thing that they have to do, which could be mm. follow the code and design it according to the code, if that's still the same, and if you're not testing things that are outside of your learning objective. So if you're not testing, for example, their ability to do a structural analysis of the beam when it's not the structural analysis class. Of course, a, a minimum diagram, etc., may be necessary. There may be prerequisites, yeah. but it's not the main focus. Um, now, if you start to bring too many things together, or you, for example, suddenly expect them to say design something and go through iterations of options, whereas in class they've only done an analysis type of example, that's where where it gets difficult. Okay. Now if find then when it comes to teaching structural design courses, structural analysis courses, the things that we do, there's not so much a risk of really going from one cognitive level to the other. But you see it, for example, if you would expect suddenly your students to program a, a spreadsheet or uh, a routine that then does the design for you, that requires a whole different level of, of approach there. Of course. Yeah, this is interesting stuff. It's something uh, I haven't given a lot of thought to. And I think it's super useful for, for anybody who's thinking about teaching to really consider this stuff. And I'm sure there's a lot of the resources are endless on this, right? Like there must be online courses and, uh, and all sorts of uh, resources for that. Yeah. After all of that, the people that can tell you the most how effective your teaching has been is, of course, the students. And so I know at, at McGill, there's already a built-in, uh, we have a course evaluation um, system already in place. Mm -hmm. And I've, and I always encourage students in class to go fill that out. And uh, of course it's anonymous. So, you know, we, it's not for the praise that, that these things exist. It's for the, basically the criticisms, you know, what, what have yeah. we been doing wrong? What can we improve? And so I always try and stress that to the students, like fill it out. It's, you know, everything's done after the grades. And so uh, there's no chance of this affecting you. And uh, I always really take that to heart, the, the criticisms that I receive. Eva, do you have that system already in place at the university? Or is this something that you've had to implement yourself? Or how did that work for you? We have a general course evaluation system in place um, here at USFQ and at TU Delft as well. Now, the difference is here at USFQ, it's mandatory. So students cannot register for the courses for their next semester if they haven't filled out the evaluations of the previous semester. Um, so they really have to fill it out. Now, the type of questions that go on there are very, they are very general, right? And uh, there, there's one that always cracks me up and that is um, essentially something like the professor shows up to class and uh, yeah. <laughs> there's the, the grade from always to never. And there's yeah. like, every time people that fill out that I never show up, I'm like, what, yeah, the heck? Yeah. what do I do with this? <laughs> I know I show up. <laughs> yeah. yeah, unless I'm invisible. But last time I checked, I'm, I'm still material. Um, but what I've done actually since 
when did I start doing this? I think in, since the summer of, of uh, 2020, I've built my own exit ticket and I have particular questions that I want the students to answer. Mm. So on a scale from zero to 10, how confident are you about the material that you learned in this class? On a mm. scale of zero to 10, how much did you like this class? And then as well, I ask them to select a module that they found most interesting and things like that. So it gives me direct feedback on my particular course. Um, so I, I use that in addition to, to the evaluation, like the general evaluation of university. How did you, how did you implement that? Is that a Google form or, or something like that? Or? The first time that I did it, I used a Google form, but I've now migrated it to, to Qualtrics. So Qualtrics is a, an online survey platform and we have a, okay. a license for that. And it allows me to do a little bit more in-depth analysis of the results. And it's a GDPR compliant. It's a better with anonymizing, et cetera, than, than Google. So I, I've migrated to them. Okay. Yeah, because I had to recently organize a survey for something unrelated to this. And man, is it a pain to to, <laughs> to look at that data, especially when it's like text fields. Like that's anybody who's set up a survey, like the text fields are, are slippery, <laughs> we'll say. Mm-hmm, <laughs> anyway. Mm-hmm. So, okay, great. So yeah, course evaluations, that's super important. I, I like your, I like that you've personalized them. Next time I, I sign up for a course to be a teaching assistant, I'm going to suggest that because I think that could be really useful. What we'll mention here just to, to close off is just some some little tips about, uh, you know, this online teaching thing. I think it's useful here, just the little tips that I've learned, right? The And I'm, we mentioned this in the previous one about virtual conferences, but good lighting and a good microphone, I think are super essential, like especially the microphone audio issues are are, are tough to deal with, are tough mm-hmm. to, to listen to when there's crackling or that sort of thing. And so that's something I suffered from at the beginning. Uh, and then the other one is especially for anything math or science related where you have to do a drawing or you would want to do drawing, uh, a, a tablet or something like that connected through Zoom. The, there's a lot of tools available for that. And I've used, been using an old tablet of mine and it really doesn't require the latest and greatest. And uh, mm-hmm. that has been really helpful. And I can't recommend that enough. Um, I haven't tried those drawing tablets that connect through USB where you, you, know, you can't see directly on the tablet, but I've heard good things about those as well. And so I'd really suggest uh, for anybody considering that, uh, take the plunge. It's really, there might be a bit of a learning curve, but it's very useful. And those are my little tips. Mm-hmm. I would say in one in addition to that, one that we mentioned as well in the episode about uh, virtual conferences is that uh, if you are teaching and you have two screens and you have perhaps your slides uh, or the, like the, the presenter view and then the, what is upcoming to not be teaching, you know, with showing the side of your face or yeah. if your camera is here and you only see like your nose to, to, to pay a little bit attention to how, how you look on, on camera, how your students are seeing you as well. Yeah, I was looking at a lecture this morning and it was an older, an older gentleman giving the lecture and uh, it was funny. It was like we were almost looking up his nose and I said, oh man, this is, this is not a good look. <laughs> it's not conducive to learning. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This has been episode 24 of the PhD Talk podcast in which we talk about online teaching. We've shared our experiences with online teaching through this pandemic and everything that we've learned from this. And we've given some of the best tips that we've gathered from learning through our experiences of teaching online. And hope you enjoyed today's episode and we will be back next week with more on PhD Live and Research Mechanics. Thank you for listening.